Support for Georgia College Connections comes from Georgia College, Georgia's public liberal arts university, providing the experience students would expect from a private college with the affordability of a public university. For more information, gcsu.edu. Tuning in to Georgia College Connections on WRGC 88.3 FM. I am your host, Daniel McDonald. From the Golden Isles to the North Georgia Mountains, our home state enjoys an abundance of natural beauty. Add to that Georgia's history as the 13th original colony and the communities of creativity that exist throughout the state, and you've got the makings of many memorable road trips. My guest, Chris Greer, has crisscrossed the state seeking out places, experiences, and people that make Georgia unique. And he's collected his insights into a book entitled Georgia Discovered, Exploring the Best of the Peach State. I talked with Greer about his journeys finding the best our state has to offer and asked him for tips on how to make memorable trips to places that may be far off the beaten path. Chris Greer, author of Georgia Discovered, Exploring the Best of the Peach State. Thank you for joining me today on Georgia College Connections. Thank you, Dan. It's a pleasure to be here. Yeah, it's my pleasure to host you. So throughout your book, Georgia Discovered, you make it clear that Georgia is many things to many people. But to start our conversation off, I was curious, how do you yourself consider the state of Georgia? Georgia is my home. I'm originally from Memphis, and I lived there for 18 plus years. And I also lived over in East Tennessee for, for four years. Uh, but I've been in Georgia now for going on 15 years, and I've traveled throughout the state many times for various projects. And I love the state of Georgia. I feel like it's highly unique, especially its beauty. But it, it also has a rich culture to it from the Atlanta area down to the smaller towns that are hanging on to their roots just barely in some places but they're rich with history and you get a glimpse into what things were like 50 100 100 plus years ago and it to me it's really fascinating and now of course you are a resident of georgia like you just said uh but you're now a um I guess we'd call you a guidebook author about this state. Uh, now, making that transition, how do you describe Georgia when you're talking about it to other people? I tell them that it is a beautiful state, and I think a lot of it is kind of under the radar. Um, for instance, when I moved here and started to kind of get to know the landscape and, and travel a lot because I do like to travel and I love to be outdoors. Uh, those are two of my passions. I told my parents about how beautiful the mountains were here and they were surprised that there were even mountains in the state of Georgia, much less beautiful ones. And so that I think speaks to perhaps the greater public's lack of awareness of how beautiful Georgia is. I think if you haven't lived here very long or if you're new to the area, you might not realize how gorgeous the coastline is and how unique it is compared to the Florida destinations that so many people go to. Uh, same with the mountains and uh, also the, the Piedmont, the rolling grassy fields with hardwood trees dotting the horizon. It's, it's all very gorgeous to me and I really enjoy staying off of main highways and interstates and, and going through the back roads and 
just getting a glimpse of what the past, the present, and perhaps what the future is for the state. And in Georgia Discovered, you place a great emphasis on using photography and the visual arts to convey the story of this state. Uh, did you find that you kind of had to clear yourself of any preconceptions about what natural and maybe man-made beauty is to really capture all of its different beauties? That's a good question. I think I approached it from an aesthetic viewpoint. When this book was first proposed to me, a, a publisher got in contact with me and, and wanted me to do a, a book. They wanted it to be a coffee table book at first. And so it was going to be purely photography with perhaps a short little blurb or story about each photograph. But then they started to kick around the idea of turning it into a full-fledged travel book once they realized how much I've traveled throughout the state and how much I know about the state. And so I think that that kind of informed my approach to the book, both with my writing as well as my photography. So my primary goal as I did my research and traveled all over was to find the areas of the state that are beautiful, that offer a lot to a visitor, and to try to do it justice through the lens of my camera. And so if that meant waiting until the sun was going to set or until the clouds formed over the horizon, or sometimes you just kind of take what Mother Nature gives you. In fact, a lot of times that's the way it is with photography. My primary goal and what guided a lot of my production to this book was just capturing how beautiful and how unique and how historic so much of this state is in the urban areas as well as in the more rural areas. And I wanted to ask you about just that focus on the visuals and how that kind of dictates the process of creating a book, especially a book that covers a geographic space, a cultural space that is so diverse, um, like our home state, Georgia. There are some places in the book that might not be as prototypically beautiful as other areas. But that doesn't mean I wanted to leave them out because they offered other things. They offered activities, they offered cultural experience, they offer a wide range of interest to somebody that hasn't been to Georgia before or for perhaps who's lived in Georgia but just not traveled extensively. So they were still included even though there might not be a gorgeous photograph of that location or a photograph at all. There are some places in the book that don't have a, an accompanying photograph with them. Um, but of course, I am a photographer. I do really enjoy especially landscape photography. And I felt like a lot of guidebooks, in fact, the vast majority of guidebooks, they are more information based with snapshot types of photography, perhaps even done with their phone um, as the, the writer travels through the location. And I wanted to do something very different. I wanted to take photos that were very beautiful and that really did justice to the location. And so when the reader flipped to that page and saw that city or that beach or that gorgeous stream running through the fields, 
it makes them want to go and see that location before they even read a single word about it. And so that was something that I really tried to accomplish as I was traveling, photographing, researching, and writing this book. And of course, throughout the conversation, there's going to be a slew of these. Uh, what's your favorite? What's your recommendation? Um, so I might as sure. well try to sneak one of those in as, as quickly <laughs> as possible. And while we're talking about the many different places that you discover, what was one of your favorite photographic uh, destinations during the creation of Georgia Discovered? I've been asked that many times, and there are so many that really come to mind that are strikingly beautiful, and they just can pop off of the screen or the page or a print on the wall because of how photogenic they are. But perhaps my most fruitful location when it comes to capturing a lot of photographs that are very memorable for me, that would be my time on Driftwood Beach, which is on the north end of Jekyll Island. And so I was there in April and I spent about almost a week there and I was able to capture the Milky Way over Driftwood Beach at about 3.34 a.m. in April and then stay awake until the sun came up. And the really neat thing about the Georgia coast, which there's a lot of beaches that can't claim this, there's always going to be a sunrise over the water because of how it's oriented. And so you just have to hope the clouds and the sky cooperate. And they did that particular morning. So I actually captured several images that during that span of six hours on Driftwood Beach, uh, there's a Milky Way shot that you'll see in the book. And then the cover of my book, I actually captured at about six in the morning. And it just had a beautiful range of blues, oranges, yellows, pinks, and even some violet. It was a, a gorgeous sunrise. And Driftwood Beach, to me, is a highly unique location and it brings photographers from all over the world because of those old gnarled trees that have been weathered by hundreds of storms. And it creates a setting like very few others in the United States. Well, I believe I know the photograph you're talking about because it is extremely striking. And I'm not sure that I've ever seen that landscape, um, that landscape which I have seen in very many photographs. Uh, we've been there uh, myself as a, a, on a family trip and have pictures of, of us on Driftwood Beach. But I've never seen it juxtaposed against the a celestial landscape a, as well. Uh, so I do want to recommend that people see that uh, photograph. But I want to ask you a question specifically about that image. Is that a shooting star that I see in the sky uh, in that image? Yes, it is. I, I, I captured several that night, but that one was in, to me, aesthetically the best location because it was kind of crossing real close to the Milky Way. I fired off a lot of photographs, as I always do when I'm at a setting that I won't be back anytime soon and the conditions are just right. And so that was perhaps my favorite from that evening. But I really enjoy photographing the Milky Way. There's not a whole lot of places that you can do it well because of the light pollution. But there are in Georgia some really beautiful and dark places where you can really capture the Milky Way and have a nice foreground. And of course, Driftwood Beach with those, those old gnarled trees. It's a fantastic foreground for the Milky Way up above. Thank you.
You're listening to a conversation with Georgia College professor Chris Greer about his book, Georgia Discovered, Exploring the Best of the Peach State. We'll talk more about Chris's journeys throughout the state and how he recommends you make the most of our Georgia home when we return for more Georgia College Connections. Stay tuned. It's all right. A rainy night in Georgia. A rainy night in Georgia. Oh, believe it's raining all over the world. And you mentioned a story about your process for collecting the images at at one place. Uh, But I was wondering if it changes any uh, for those places that are off the beaten path, um, those that, um, again, hearkening back to our earlier conversations, uh, may not have with them that kind of imprimatur of a photogenic Georgia landscape. Does the process change a little bit when you're out there discovering for yourself for the first time and maybe discovering for one of the early times um, anyone with a photographic um, eye? It does. I love to plan my shoots because it, I have different apps that I have on my phone, as well as I use Google Maps. And so it gives me a really strong idea of where the sun is going to be, what time the sun is going to be setting and rising, when the moon's going to come up, all of those things. And so a lot of my most successful photographs come from planning. However, with this book, a lot of it was kind of guerrilla style photography, where I am just on the road. I'm not a full-time author, so I didn't have as much time in each location as perhaps some others would. And so I kind of had to take what Mother Nature gave me. If I had driven down to southwest Georgia and I knew I was only going to be there a few days, I didn't have the luxury of hanging out and waiting for the light to be good, the weather to change, what have you. And so sometimes... I would just drive around in a town or in the rural areas outside of the town and try to find something really striking, try to find something unique and also something that just kind of is pleasing to the eye and I just pull off and photograph it. And I did that quite a bit. So I'm not sure what my success rate for plan shots versus off-the-cuff shots is, but there's quite a few off-the-cuff shots that are in the book, uh, due primarily to the fact that I just was driving around constantly to new locations, and if I saw something that I thought was was really beautiful, no matter where it was uh, or when it was, I would usually pull off and, and set up and take it. And when my family was with me, they would just, <laughs> they, all right, here we go again. We're sitting on the side of the road while he gets his camera out. But that's just was part of my process with this. Well, and do you have any advice to impart about the learning process you went through in creating this book? And especially maybe uh, those could be uh, um, interpersonal communications advice that you have for others who uh, would look at this book and be inspired to go out and really, uh, you know, uh, reflect their wonder at all of the abundance of beauty here in the state of Georgia. 
Yeah. So my process for this book and what I would recommend for anybody wanting to learn about places, visit places, photograph places, perhaps even write about places if they want a blog or if they want to write their own book. My first stop was the Internet. And so I had a really long document that I would just constantly add to as I researched and tried to find the must visit places and then also try to get kind of deep into the weeds and find some of the more hidden gems. And so that was, that was kind of the beginning of the book production. But then the most important thing to me was hitting the road. And so getting out there, driving around, seeing what I found, talking to the locals. Um, I would talk, I would stop into visitor centers and towns and different communities. And also I drew heavily upon my social media following to help kind of inform and guide the different places that I might really want to pay attention to as I traveled throughout the state. I'm not typically a real organized person, but for this book, I had to be because of the amount of time I invested for each trip, as well as the amount of photographs I took of each place. And then also, I didn't want to miss anything. And I'm sure I did. Uh, everybody does because there's just so much to see and too much to include in a single work. But I really wanted to make sure I did Georgia justice. And so that was a big part of my, my process and organizing for this. Well, and you just mentioned one of the things that I think is interesting about traveling to any place, and especially when you're traveling to places that may or may not have a notable tourism draw, is trying to suss out um, that good information from the information that's just kind of the de facto information that people hand out to visitors. When you've had these conversations, specifically at visitor centers, how did you find out what the real good stuff was, and how did you learn to differentiate that from the place where uh, people just thought that visitors would want to go to. That's great. When I would have those conversations, I would usually start with what are the must-sees in this area? And a lot of times what they would tell me aligned quite well with what I had in my document from my prior research. And then I would frame the conversation in a way of, You've lived here for, I assume, quite a while. What are some of the more hidden, out-of-the-way places that people don't usually spend a lot of time at or they don't even know about? And so then I'm kind of asking them to draw upon their own personal knowledge of where they spend time, places they like to visit and experience. And so sometimes that I was able to kind of gleam a little bit of extra information that they might not normally share with somebody that walks through the visitor center. So that was really useful for me to make sure I went beyond just the main attraction to that part of Georgia. And is there perhaps another document that you may have kept about happy little accidents and things that uh, were just complete discoveries for you that either weren't advised or definitely weren't researched? I don't have a document to that, but certainly those types of things happened. I would just stumble across it during my drive, or I would happen across it a lot of times doing research before as well. Uh, I would go beyond just typing in the name of the city or the town and going to their visitor center or going to TripAdvisor or something like that. I, a lot of times we would try to visit 
either discussion forums or social media groups and see what the locals talked about, where they tagged themselves, those types of things. And because a lot of times, for instance, just a personal anecdote, I lived in Memphis for my first 18 years, went off to college, never had been to Graceland. And of course, Memphis, Elvis, those two are hand in hand in so many people's eyes. And so my college friends came and visited me after my freshman year and they were like, let's go to Graceland. I said, "Okay, I've never been. Let's do it. And they couldn't believe it that I lived in Memphis my entire life and never been to Graceland. But even though it was where everybody wanted to go from out of town, I personally enjoyed other areas of Memphis a lot more. And so I tried when I was creating this book to discover what the locals liked to do. And so quite a bit of that came from me literally just asking on social media and getting responses, but also from doing a little bit of investigation through discussion forums and through different tags that people do like in Instagram and such. And that, that helped me as well. You're listening to a conversation with Georgia College professor Chris Greer about his book, Georgia Discovered, Exploring the Best of the Peach State. We'll talk more about Chris's journeys throughout the state and how he recommends you make the most of our Georgia home when we return for more Georgia College Connections. Stay tuned. So he's leaving the life. He's come to know. He said said he's going back to find going back to find ooh, 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 what's left of his world the world he left behind not so long ago he's leaving leaving on that midnight train to Georgia I want to go back to another comment you made just about the research portion of this. Um, you mentioned that you use social media a lot to call out to your network in the state of Georgia and ask them about things that were more true to their Georgia and the way they experience it. Oh, what was one of the best pieces of advice that you received from that kind of person-to-person research? There were quite a few. Basically... I would say, hey, I'm going to Augusta or Columbus or St. Simon's Island or what have you. I would put that out on my social media and I would say, does anybody have any recommendations, some must-see places or even better, some kind of hidden out of the way spots that I should check out while I'm there. I was basically asking for guidance from people that have spent a lot of time at these locations or that live there. Those, that, those are always the best to me. And I, I got a lot of responses to, from everything from places to eat and see or just some locations that aren't like the first place that you would think to go to. So like Augusta, there's a really beautiful canal that runs through downtown Augusta, but uh, the headwaters of it, are really beautiful and there's some rapids and you can go kayaking and fishing and boating and everything there. And so somebody said, yes, you got to go check out the headwaters 
of the um, Augusta Canal. And so uh, I went up there and spent some time and, and got a few pictures for the book and it certainly made it into the book. And so that was, you know, just one of many uh, St. Simon's Island um People said definitely go see the Avenue of the Oaks and really beautiful oak trees that line the road going out towards kind of Sea Island. Those are just a few of many suggestions that I got from people when I was creating the book. And I told them, I said, if, if you give me a, a suggestion that is really, really worthwhile and not just like, you know, go see Rock City, that type thing. I would thank them in my book, and I did. So in the, in the book, there is a section where I thank everybody that messaged me and, and gave me some good tips because it really helped, I think, make the book a little – give the book more depth and take it well beyond just your typical tourist-recommended activities. And one of the things that I feel that you tried to focus on – in the way that you organized your book was not simply talking about uh, perhaps, shall we say, like the the cultural things to do, the attraction type things to do, but um, uh, really kind of talk about uh, Georgia in a deeper sense, um, almost in a, a geologic sense. Um, and it made me wonder about um, the breadth of the research that you did for it. Uh, what were some of the interesting or fun or even just just notable things that you learned about this state during the course of creating Georgia Discovered? Georgia has a really interesting geology, especially up in the northern half of the state. And so I actually learned some of it from a prior project that I did. I did a digital textbook on the state parks of Georgia for K-12 educators to use. And so I visited with a lot of park rangers um, and I learned a lot. But I kind of built upon that knowledge when I was creating this book, and I did want it to have a lot of interesting information that really includes some science and includes some geology. And so areas such as like Cloudland Canyon, there's multiple different types of rocks formed there. There's coal nearby, which is the only location in the state that has that. And so it's just, it's rich both ecologically as well as with the geology of the area. And then like going down to Cumberland Island, there are some trees there that are so old, they don't even know for certain how old they are. And so there was one live oak tree, and I think they call it like the grandfather. But there are some park rangers that think it's probably 500 years old or older. And so that's just... I love to think about what that tree has seen, the storms that have come through the island, the early settlers, all of that. Uh, and it's still there. It's still growing. You can still see it during your adventures on Cumberland. So those are the types of things that I didn't know about, but I learned by being there, by asking questions, and by trying to explore as much as possible all of the locations that I included in the book. And I do want to take a turn to uh, ask you some of the things that I'm sure um, you're learning now that travel writers get asked all the time. And I'll start off uh, just going as, as wide as possible. Uh, you know, what are some of the places one must go and things one must do uh, to try and understand the breadth of uh, this Georgia that you're presenting in Georgia Discovered? I can't rank them because... I think it's very subjective on what you enjoy and what you really want to see during your travels. There's a wide and diverse ecosystem throughout 
North Georgia and the Appalachians and the plateau area near Rome and the very northwestern part of the state. I don't think you can go wrong anywhere in the northern part of the state when it comes to seeing a, beautiful locations, learning a lot about the ecology, the flora, the fauna that, that lives up there. But I think a lot of people also that have been in Georgia for a while, they know that the mountains are really pretty. So if I was going to talk to that group, I would say, make sure you go to Providence Canyon. It's really, really unique. It's You feel like you're in the Southwest when you're there, because once you climb down into that canyon, it does not feel like you're in the state of Georgia anymore. And interestingly, it was formed due to poor farming practices. So it's not a natural formation per se, because the erosion was so bad there that once the farmers over farmed the soil and trenched too much and used it too much, it started this cycle of events that has not stopped. And so it continues to erode by multiple feet every year now. But the trails there and the canyons themselves are really, really pretty. And then another really unique location that I would recommend going to at least only certain parts of the year, probably, if you don't like bugs. And that would be the Okefenokee Swamp. It is a truly wild place. Um, it's the, one of the few dark sky certified locations in the southeast U.S. Uh, because there's no light pollution, because there are no towns in, in or around uh, the Okefenokee. And so there's over 12,000 alligators. There's tons of birds. You can kayak. You can canoe. There's even some boat tours. It's a really, really neat place. And in fact, if you really want to be someplace wild and experience really unchanged wilderness, then spending some time in Stephen Foster State Park and getting out into the swamp, high on my list. I wouldn't necessarily do it in August, but I would say, you know, late fall, early spring, even in the wintertime, uh, would be a really memorable adventure uh, for almost anybody. And um, while we're talking about places in, in the way that they are, what are some of your favorite built environment or man-made places in the state? It's it's funny because I'm such an outdoor lover that my mind never jumps immediately to man-made locations as places that I want to visit. But certainly Atlanta has a wealth of interesting and educational locations. So like the Fernbank Museum, really, really pretty. And if you have a family and have little kids, if they want to see what dinosaurs really look like, if they want to get a, see a, a life-size dinosaur as soon as they walk in. It's right there, front and center. I mean, it's it's incredible. It's hard to wrap your brain around how big these creatures were. So if you're in the Atlanta area, that's a, a really neat one to check out. Moving down into like South Georgia, I always love Savannah. Uh, to me, Savannah just, it, it's a nice mix of history and beauty. Uh, it's got the shopping and the food that so many people want, but it also, the way it's set right there on the river with the huge cargo ships floating by that um, are just amazing to watch and then it's close proximity to Tybee Island and then heading south into the Golden Isles I think it's a great home base to you know kind of 
build your travels from and, and explore that kind of southeast corner of the state of Georgia. So I'm, I'm a big, real big fan of Savannah as well. Right. And are there any of perhaps of the more, shall we say, surprise destinations, the ones that, you know, maybe have not uh, received their fair share of the tourism economy that Georgia's known for? I was pleasantly surprised with Thomasville, and I didn't really know anything about it before I arrived. But its mix of architecture and Again, it's very historic. It's got cobblestone streets. Uh, a lot of times when I try to describe it to people, I try to, I actually kind of compare it to Savannah. I say it's like a small, tiny, tucked away Savannah without the river running through it. It has that type of architecture. It has that type of feel with its shops and restaurants. It's surrounded by all types of plantations. Um, and so, of course, you've got these huge antebellum homes nearby but the city itself is a really nice place to spend a day or two it's very popular with people from tallahassee because it's less than an hour's drive from tallahassee and i'm not sure it's on the radar of as many people here in georgia but it's well worth the visit just if you're wanting to go someplace really different you've already spent plenty of time on the coast and you spent plenty of time in the mountains uh, Thomasville is well worth the trip. You're listening to a conversation with Georgia College professor Chris Greer about his book, Georgia Discovered, exploring the best of the Peach State. We'll talk more about Chris's journeys throughout the state and how he recommends you make the most of our Georgia home when we return for more Georgia College Connections. Stay tuned. I wanted to part just a moment from destination thoughts about uh, this great state and ask you about um, some of the flavors and products and maybe experiences that you think are indicative of the state of Georgia. Because, of course, that is a a part that you talk about uh, in pretty good depth uh, throughout the book and throughout the many regions of our state. Everybody thinks that Georgia is the peach state, right? I mean, Georgia doesn't even produce as many peaches as a couple of other states. Uh, But Georgia does have some industries that I think those in Georgia are becoming aware of, but those outside of Georgia might not know about. There is a very strong wine uh, industry in Georgia, and North Georgia is full of vineyards. There's over 50 vineyards in North Georgia, and you can easily spend a day or a weekend going wine tasting and really appreciating 
not only the wines that are made here, but also the fact that the grapes are grown here as well. The um, mountainous region is con conducive to, to growing certain types of grapes that can't be grown anywhere else. Um, the muscadine wines, of course, are found throughout the rest of the state. And those are kind of interesting, too. Uh, you know, there, there's a history to muscadine uh, grapes and the wines that are made from them. And the early, early settlers, when they first came here, they started making wine and sent some back uh, to Queen Elizabeth uh, from Georgia. So there's an interesting history to the muscadine wines that you see all over the state. But I, I really like North Georgia's. The, the vineyards are beautiful, and then the wine coming out of it is much better, I think, than a lot of people would think. Certainly, the wines there win awards nationally and internationally every year. And of course, the barbecue is really, really good in Georgia. Uh, it's funny, I'm from Memphis, so I am from a tomato-based barbecue sauce. That is my background. And there's some of that here in Georgia, but it's more vinegar-based, I would say, uh, a lot of them. But there's barbecue restaurants everywhere. I don't really get too in-depth because there's so many of them, and I can't rank them. There's way too many uh, for me to rank. But uh, certainly there's the um, – uh, what was – Well, I know one, one that you mentioned in the book is uh, Fresh Air Barbecue, which is not yeah. too far from here over in Jackson, Georgia. And I've never been there myself, but just driving by is an experience over there yes. because I mean, literally the, if you have the windows down um, or, you know, if you're lucky and you have a convertible, I mean, <laughs> the area surrounding there is permeated by decades of barbecue smoke. And it is yes. um, exactly, it is almost a, uh, a poster child for the idea of getting off the, off the interstates and finding those uh, traditional barbecue establishments that books are completely focused on. <laughs> exactly. Um, Fresh Air Barbecue, just it embodies the old barbecue mm. joints that have been around in Georgia forever. Fresh Air is one of those. Um, I think it opened in like 1929, and it's well worth the drive up to Jackson. So for those that are in the central Georgia area, but really for those that live anywhere in Georgia. It's a it's a destination barbecue place, the one in Jackson in particular, because it's so old. It's been there for so long. And when you walk in, it is very far from the new modern high tech barbecue places that have sprung up all over the state. It looks and feels historic. The barbecue is very good. I strongly recommend it. Um, another place that's way off the beaten path and people's radar when it comes to barbecue is Gary Lee's market down in Brunswick. So it's not real far from the interstate, so it's easy to access, but it's kind of like a counter shot. Like you come in to get cuts of meat and things like that, but he also makes barbecue and he makes really, really good barbecue there. It's just a small, unassuming storefront. Looks like it was probably built in maybe the sixties or something. Uh, but they have really good, barbecue as well as barbecued chicken there. Uh, and then, of course, there's like the newer, more modern establishments like Southern Soul Barbecue on St. Simon's. It's also very, very good. Uh, and it's won all types of awards. And I'm sure a lot of people that have been to St. Simon's have been uh, there to Southern Soul. But if you haven't, it's one more reason to go and spend some time 
on St. Simons. Not that you need a lot of reasons, because that's a really beautiful area of the state. Well, and I just want to uh, pause here for a second. Uh, remind me, Chris, you are a certified barbecue judge, are you not? I am. I am. Well, I, my certification might have lapsed because it's been a while since I judged. But yes, back before children, my wife and I became certified barbecue judges. And so we would travel to different competitions in the state of Georgia and act as judges. And so we would kind of visit the different barbecue teams and sample what they created and uh, fill out our forms to judge them. And of course, a winner is always chosen at the end. But through that process, I developed a, a pretty good palate when it comes to identifying well-cooked, well-flavored barbecue. And so it's kind of nice when I visit a location, a restaurant or what have you, that has good barbecue, I recognize, hey, this is really good because I've had the competition level barbecue so many times. And I, I can stop there and digress more, but I, I just wanted to note that because I heard a, a smile across your face when you started talking about uh, the barbecue. And so yes, I wanted absolutely. to make sure that we uh, <laughs> uh, appropriately announced your bona fides in that area. Um, well, in, uh, you're kind of talking about something that you talk a little bit about in the book, and that's this idea of agritourism. Um, you mentioned that pretty cl up close in the book, uh, but I wondered if you could talk about that idea and about that concept as a way of experiencing um, a place. Yeah, agritourism, it's been around for a long time, but I think it's kind of gained momentum and it's, it's become more organized over the past five plus years as a way to get people to the farms, to the smaller communities, to sample things kind of right off of the farm or right off of the vine or what have you. Uh, it helps with the tourism industry in these smaller locations, and it gives people a, a way to experience something very different than what they're used to. So they're used to going to a restaurant, they're used to going to a grocery store to get their food. This takes them right to the source. And so they have a greater appreciation for how it's grown, how it's made, the people that are part of that process. And so Georgia has a strong agritourism industry. Uh, there's a website dedicated to it. There's a map that gives you dry, a drive so that you can hit one after another after another and be real efficient with your time. And it stretches from the vineyards of North Georgia all the way down to South Georgia, where you have the more traditional peaches and, of course, the Vidalia onions, but then also uh, working farms as well, cattle, uh, horses, goats, those types of things. So you can experience all of that in Georgia, and it's a really different way to, to travel and to spend some time. And I think you learn a lot uh, through the process. One thing I felt while reading through the book is a, a sense of, of your book being a snapshot in time of where Georgia is now. And, and as we think about uh, this idea of agritourism, I get the sense of a changing Georgia. Um, in your research for the book and your travels to uh, photograph and, and write the book, did you get that sense of change in where we are in Georgia right now? Or perhaps um, maybe a change in the way that we experience place as uh, tourists or, or maybe even residents? Yeah, I think there is a change occurring. I think that a lot of these smaller communities, especially in central and south Georgia, 
they used to thrive because of agriculture. And that is why you see these train tracks and old train stations right in the middle of these tiny towns, because that is how people would export their goods and perhaps go into the city of Atlanta. But it was also it was their lifeline to prosperity and places like Sparta used to be extremely prosperous, even though they were far removed from Atlanta due to the agriculture. The agriculture still exists here, but it's changed quite a bit over the past 100 years. There's large corporations that own a lot of the farms. And um, so as far as the mom and pop places, they, they've struggled. And so I think through agritourism, through offering a bed and breakfast experience that's a little different than what you might traditionally think of. It's been a way for Georgia to start to reinvent what people are doing and how they're making a living. And then on top of that, you've got a really strong craft beer emergence here in the state. Uh, this, the distributor laws changed recently, and that has helped fuel the opening of even more craft breweries. And of course, there's a lot in the Atlanta metro area, but there's a lot in small towns as well. In fact, one of the ones in my book, Omaha Brewing Company, it's outside of Columbus a little ways, but it is out in the middle of nowhere. I mean, it is in the town of Omaha, Georgia, which I would guess most people listening to this have never heard of before. But it's a really good brewery. They're putting out great uh, beer. And their uh, tap room is super cool. It's an old school house. So uh, those types of things, I think, are providing new and unique ways for small towns to be on the map and for there to be a, a good developing economy. And then, of course, I talk a bit about Hollywood and how much of uh, injection of money into the state of Georgia, all of those film productions have created over the past, you know, five plus years, it's starting to really fill in the gap that was left by um, the agriculture and the cotton and, and those things that have kind of fallen off a bit over the past 50 plus years. Not in that old hair street, and what a boy and gal do meet. Doing that rag, that Georgia rag, out in the alley, in the you're listening to a conversation with Georgia College professor Chris Greer about his book, Georgia Discovered, Exploring the Best of the Peach State. We'll talk more about Chris's journeys throughout the state and how he recommends you make the most of our Georgia home when we return for more Georgia College Connections. Stay tuned. That wild rag, that crazy rag, better known as Georgia rag. Came all the way from Paris, France, come in Atlanta to get a chance to do that rag. That Georgia rag, move a little bit for me. That Georgia rag, grab your mom and hold me tight. Left me around the rest of the night doing that rag. That Georgia rag, bang that Georgia rag. I dream about the Georgia rag. I'm wild about the Georgia rag. I mean that Georgia rag, Georgia rag. Both all right like a bee, shaking like a ship on the sea. That wild rag, that crazy rag, better known as Georgia rag. That woman. That's what makes me feel good, ready then. Grab throw your hands way up high. 
grab your daddy and make him cry. Doing that rag, that Georgia rag. Right now, assuming that many of our audience members call Georgia home, uh, how do you recommend a resident go about discovering their home state? And that could be uh, specific to Georgia or, or maybe even advice just for appreciating uh, these places that uh, we inhabit every day. I think the best way for a resident to discover the state, other than buying my book, of course, um, <laughs> sorry, that was a shameless plug there, uh, is basically follow what I had to do to create this book. So, uh, you know, I'm married. I have two little children. I didn't want to be away from them all the time in my travels. So a lot of times they would go with me. And so I would identify, hey, I haven't been to Columbus yet. Hey, I haven't been to Macon yet. What have you as I was creating uh, the content for this book. And so we would just hop in the car and we would go to that place and we would spend a night or two in the hotel and we would get out and explore that area. And by spending time there and not just stopping the car for an hour on a road trip, you start to get a real sense of that community and the people that live there and what is going on culturally uh, through both food and art and music and the industries, all of that kind of starts to emanate from your surroundings since you spend some time there. And so my advice to those that live in Georgia is it's a small enough state that everything can be a weekend trip, no matter where you live. So instead of going to your places that you always go to, branch out a little bit. Try something new. Try to go someplace that you've never really spent some time. And you probably will be pleasantly surprised. You'll have a greater perspective of the kind of variety and diversity that can be found across the state. And you might discover something new that you want to go back and revisit and perhaps share with your friends and family. So many places get lost in the, uh, shall we say, the tourism economy that focuses on Atlanta, Savannah, uh, mm -hmm. potentially Rome. I mean, do you have yeah. any advice for getting yourself out of that kind of cycle and discovering some of those places that may not even have a tourism bureau to do? Like, is there a, a way of opening yourself to the experiences that may not show themselves through uh, glossy uh, trifold brochures and websites. Sure. What you could do is just pull up a map, identify an area of the state you've never been. And even if it's super rural and has nothing but small towns, that's great. Find perhaps the biggest town that's going to have a place for you to stay and say, all right, we're going to go here. And then we're going to spend the weekend and we're just going to kind of get lost and wander and, and discover what they have in that area. And so you might end up down in Albany and you might have never thought that you would actually go for non-work related reasons to Albany to explore and, and spend some time. But you grab a hotel there, you walk around the downtown, you visit that really cool aquarium that they have right on the river uh, that is full of all types of wildlife and fauna that can be found in Georgia. It's a really neat location. And then use that as a springboard to get out 
and visit some of the other areas, like head over to Plains and visit uh, Jimmy Carter's boyhood home. Uh, another thing that I experienced when I was creating this book was one of Jimmy Carter's Sunday school classes. And it was an absolute life-changing type of experience for me. It was, uh, it's hard for me to even describe it to people, but you felt like you were in the presence of something greater than yourself. Uh, it was a really neat thing to do, and I would recommend it to anybody if they can make it happen. But I will, I will advise you, you have to get there really early, like the night before. So most people sleep in their cars and start lining up at like 2 a.m. Begin and it's that's how uh, popular it is. And when I was there, there were people. He he asked the audience where they're from. There were people from Australia. There were people from Ch Japan. There were people from all over Europe. And so it was a really cool experience that I will always remember for the rest of my life. And so we're coming to the close of our time together today, um, and. You've published this book and had some time to focus on other things, I, I hope, and maybe even engage in some traveling that wasn't within the, the confines of the state of Georgia. Uh, but I want to ask you about the places you'll be going back to um, now that you are a, a an accomplished travel writer by the state of Georgia. Uh, what's your next Georgia journey uh, for you and your family? That's a good question. Well, right now, it's like I might be about to sign another contract for a, a, another book. This time, it'll be a photography book that really showcases Georgia. And so it'll be kind of that coffee table book that was going to be the original uh, project when this first started. And so that'll take me out into Georgia again. Uh, and my family will be in tow and I'll be revisiting a lot of places. One place that is absolutely near and dear to my heart is Cumberland Island. And since my book came out, I actually had a Cumberland Island conservation organization reach out to me to partner with them to try to do everything that's that we can to try to preserve how unique and undisturbed that wilderness is. And so I hope that I can visit it again and capture it through photography to show what a really nice gem it is it's it's a really i'm gonna i I, could, I guess i could go so far as to say it is one of the most beautiful and unique offerings that georgia has due to its history and its lack of development and i hope that continues um so that'll be certainly a place that i spend time but uh there's quite a bit of diverse beauty throughout the state and i'm sure i'll spend time again in the southwest all the way up uh, to the the northern reaches of the appalachians well chris greer uh professor at georgia college uh, but for the purposes of our conversation today the author of the new book georgia discovered exploring the best of the peach state i just want to thank you for taking the time today to talk to our audience on georgia college connections absolutely dan it's been a lot of fun and I hope uh, it gives everybody some ideas on new places to go out and uh, discover for themselves. Well, I'm sure it will, and I hope that they can uh, get an opportunity to see some of the ways that um, you have depicted the state uh, in the book, because uh, there's a lot of breathtaking photography and a lot of uh, good ideas uh, for a new way to see uh, our home state. Excellent. Thank you. 
You've been listening to a conversation with Chris Greer about his book, Georgia Discovered, Exploring the Best of the Peach State. You can learn more about Chris Greer and see images featured in the book, Georgia Discovered, on his website, chrisgreerphotography.com. On behalf of WRGC 88.3 FM, I have been your host, Daniel McDonald. I want to thank you for spending a portion of your evening with me here on Georgia College Connections. I hope you enjoyed our time together, and I want you to know that I look forward to convening with you again next time.